Divine Direction, God's Blueprint for Your Future, recorded by Gordon Robertson. Part 3, Where Are You Going? This is Part 3 of the three questions I asked at the beginning. Uh, The question, where are you going? The short answer is, I'm going to God. I come from God, I belong to God, and I'm going to God. Now, here's a verse for you. It's from Isaiah chapter 46, verse 4. I will be your God throughout your lifetime. Until your hair is white with age, I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. Isn't that wonderful? That God cares for every moment of our lives. That he will carry me along. He will carry you along. He will save you. He will be with you for all your lifetime. And then his plan and purpose is for you to be with him for all eternity. These are wonderful thoughts. But these are thoughts that should energize us to action during our life. And the reason I ask that is that if you know you're going to God, you know you're going to be in heaven with him for all eternity. The question I have is, what will you take with you to heaven? And that's a profound question, because a lot of our effort here on earth, whether it's pursuit of the American dream or the next billionaire on Forbes list or the lottery winner or whatever it is, you have to take a step back and say, well, none of that is going to go with you to heaven. Back when I was a lawyer and sort of struggling with who I was and one foot trying to be a successful lawyer and one foot trying to rebel against God. God sent some messengers by my path, and one of them was a lawyer who actually knew my grandfather and had worked with him back in the 1960s. And he called me up one day and said, I need to have lunch with you. For whatever reason, I thought he was going to talk about some case or some opportunity. He wanted to talk about me, and he wanted to talk about what I was doing. He asked me a question. He said, Gordon, at the end of your days, do you want it written on your gravestone how many billable hours you did every year? (laughs) It was an interesting question for lawyers because that's how we're measured in law practice is how many billable hours, what's your total billings for the year that determines your bonus pool and, frankly, determines your worth within the firm. A lot of people take identity with it, and some lawyers get quite famous for the number of billable hours that they have every year. But obviously, he knew that wasn't going to appeal to me. I'm not oriented that way because that's just not me. It was a profound question and really got me thinking, both in terms of life is short, and do I really want to spend it this way? Do I want to spend my hours trying to do billable work or Do I want to do something with perhaps a little more purpose? So my question became, what will I take with me to heaven? And the answer is quite clear. You don't take any of your possessions. You don't take your house, your cars, your career, your diplomas, the things we like to hang on walls. The only thing you're going to take with you to heaven are the people that you lead to Jesus. And that's it. The Apostle Paul told members of churches that he started, he said, you're my reward, you're my victory, you're my crown. When I'm looking to heaven, I see you. You're the reason I do all of this. You're the reason that I can't help but preach the gospel. 
You're the reason it burns in my bones because I want to make sure that you make it to heaven. Now, here's a thought you may not have thought before. It's one thing for us to say, I have faith in God, but it's actually a bigger deal if you turn that around. God has faith in you. And I have to credit T.L. Osborne for first giving me this thought. There was a series of meetings in a tent here at CBN. I was living in the Philippines, and I'd gotten one of the flyers about the tent meetings, and I was just going through the material, just trying to keep track of what was happening at CBN while I was in Manila starting CBN Asia. And one of the flyers was about the tent meetings. Uh, Frankly, I'd never heard of T.L. Osborne. He had spent his life on the mission field. He pioneered the great festival meetings with platforms and big crowds. He had done that his whole life. He had literally left his home in Oklahoma and spent most of his life on the mission field in Africa and Asia. In later life, he had a special ministry in Europe to the Roma community. But he was always traveling to preach the gospel and find places where people needed the gospel. So I'm looking at this fire, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, I want you to meet him. I said, okay. I communicated to the CBN staff that was handling the itinerary, can I have a moment, can I have an hour with T.L. Osborne? And At the time, I was filled with all these questions about faith, and what is faith, and what do you mean by substance and evidence, and how do you get it, how do you get more of it, and I had all these questions. I still, what I call my tingle stage of the Holy Spirit, where if I felt the tingle, then okay. Um, If I didn't feel the tingle, then not okay. And all of these things, and all of it was, from the standpoint of the Bible, is complete nonsense. But uh, I was wrestling with it. What what does it mean? He, He solved all the problems for me, and it says, Gordon, Jesus is your faith. And it was like, you know, when you're putting a jigsaw puzzle together and you're missing one piece and you finally find that piece and what great joy you put that piece in and now the picture comes into focus. Yeah, Jesus is my faith. It's not something I come up with within me. It's not something I drum up. It's not something I earn. It's not something I fast and pray for, read the Bible for. You know, what faith does come by hearing and hearing by the word, but more importantly, who is the word? Well, it's Jesus. So if you let Jesus be your faith, everything gets really easy. And boy, that's just absolutely true. But then he turned it around. Well, here's a bigger fact. You can have faith in God. You can have faith in Jesus. You can let Jesus be your faith. But isn't it amazing? God has faith in you. God believes in you. In that evidence that he has faith in you, that he believes in you, is that God trusted you with the gospel. God gave the good news to you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now, I've had some time wrestling with this one because, frankly, if I were God, I wouldn't pick people. People that will let you down, they'll go off and do things. Ministers will have lapses and fall and You'll have all these problems, and Magellan will mess it up. And all of these things were going through my mind. If I were God, how would I do it? And my first thought would be, well, go tell the angels, well, here, you guys are good at carrying messages. 
you do it very faithfully and you do it accurately and you don't add to it and you don't subtract to it, you deliver the message that I give you. So here, angels, go declare the gospel, write it in fire in the heavens and so that everyone will know and everyone will believe. God didn't want to do it that way. And the reason is God has faith in you. God believes in you. But also, God wants friends in heaven. He wants people who have grown up into the full stature of Jesus Christ that understand their role, that understand what it really means to be a child of God, that have gone through it and have emerged victorious on the other side. God has trusted you with the gospel. Here it is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. God has given us, God has given you, the trust of carrying the gospel the trust of carrying his image, the trust of carrying his anointing, his spirit, his glory. He has trusted you with this. Now, there's a parable, and it's the the parable of the bags of gold, the talents. It's in Matthew chapter 25. We've all heard, or at least I hope you've heard, the parable where he gives five bags of gold to one, two bags of gold to another. And one person gets just one bag. And it's interesting that it's spelled out each according to his ability. God's purpose and destiny for you is according to the ability that you have and where you are. He does that according to ability. But you've already learned you come from him. You've already learned that his power and anointing is on you. You've already learned that his words in your mouth are just as powerful as they are. You've already learned these things. So what is your ability? It means that he'll give you all you need according to his riches and glory. So as you keep stretching your ability and stretching your faith and stretching, what does it really mean to be a child of God? What does it really mean to belong to God? What does it really mean that I'm going to God? Well, then as you keep growing, well, he's going to give you more talents. He's going to give you more things according to your ability. So the one who was given five bags went and put his money to work and gave five bags more. The one who had two went out and gave two more. But the one who just had one talent, one bag of gold, he dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So after a time, the master returned and wanted to settle up. I gave you five bags of gold. And it's interesting how the King James Version has this. You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And the one with two bags said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. It's interesting, the one that was given one, he didn't come back and talk about trust. He came back and said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, in your walk with the Lord, do you hide away the gifts that he's given you? 
if he's entrusted the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not one more thing that's more precious to him than this good news. When we really understand we come from God, we belong to him, that everyone on the planet has that same legacy and that same destiny, and he's trusted you with a glorious gospel to go tell his children this wonderful news. Why in the world would we ever bury the gospel? Why would we ever do that? When you stand before him in heaven, don't say, well, here's the salvation back that you gave me. Here's what belongs to you. You know, it's interesting how that was described by Jesus as a wicked, lazy servant, a worthless servant who was thrown into darkness. I want to be the good and faithful one who says, you've entrusted me with this glorious gospel. You've entrusted me with these great gifts of the Holy Spirit. You've entrusted me with the blood of your only begotten Son. You've entrusted me by being a partaker in your nature. You've entrusted me with the very breath of life. I will use it to share with others. I will take the Great Commission not as a suggestion, but as an absolute ironclad commandment so that heaven can be filled up. I want to take as many people to heaven as I possibly can. These are incredible thoughts. These are life-changing thoughts where you understand your true legacy, what it really means to be a child of God. You understand that you belong and that all the treasures of God's house are available to you, that he will supply all the need according to his riches and glory. When you understand that no matter what happens, whatever problems come your way, let's treat it the way Jesus treated, that these are opportunities for God's glory to happen. Given all of that, why would you ever be afraid and go hide these wonderful gifts in the ground? Let's spread it abroad. Let's reproduce it. Let's try to have more and more people come to know him. Let's sow as many seeds as we possibly can. Let's reap that harvest, that 30, 60, 100-fold harvest. Let's have that be an abundance in our life, that we wake up every day energized with these thoughts, that we get the enormous privilege of carrying the gospel to our generation. Not a gospel of condemnation not the gospel of guilt, because there's no good news in any of that, but the gospel that all the sins can be forgiven. You can be restored to what God originally intended. You can have all of those things resident in you, all around you. You can be assured that God has faith in you, that God believes in you. He could have chosen the angels to take the gospel, but instead he said, I've got a better plan. I'm going to give this to my children, and I believe in them. that They're going to do a good job. Right now, he's looking at you. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro over the whole earth to show himself strong to those whose hearts are loyal to him. He's looking at you. Seeds have been planted in you today that can germinate and produce that harvest. These seeds are planted in you that His word, it never returns void. It always produces what he intended to do. It always works, and his love never fails. It always produces the harvest he intended. Let these words energize you to action. 
What can you do to preach the gospel? Who can you lead to the Lord? We've done surveys at CBN. I like to do surveys before we start broadcasts in particular countries. I like to do surveys after we broadcast to measure results. I like to find out the primary ways that people find the Lord and what convinces them to pray a prayer of salvation, what convinces them to go to church, what convinces them to change behavior. These things I'm constantly measuring. It's interesting that in surveys of Christians right here in America, how did you find the Lord? How did you hear about the gospel? And the number one, my family taught it to me. Usually it's mom and dad. Sometimes it's a grandparent. But far and away, number one reason, my family. Number two, a friend told me. Now, you drop down significantly from those two because those are the majority. You drop down significantly to, well, I became a Christian at my church. So that would be number three. And then it's sort of humbling for us here at the Christian Broadcasting Network. You drop down even further to, well, I saw a message on television, or I went to a crusade meeting, or these other evangelism efforts that we do or I heard a street preacher, or I got a track, or I was reading the Bible by myself. These are all ways, but the percentage of people that that happens to are significantly less than those who have the gospel witnessed to them by their family, by a friend, or at church. So with those statistics, realize it's your responsibility to be able to take them the gospel. You absolutely want your friends to be with you in heaven. You don't want them to go anywhere else. You absolutely want your family to be with you in heaven. You don't want them going anywhere else. You want to make sure that your life is reflecting the glory of the Lord. And in that, you're constantly giving them the reason why you believe. What is the reason for the hope within you? How is God working within you and making you more than a conqueror? through the love of Jesus given to us. When we look at the very obstacles, the fear, this parable of the talents, the excuse that the one who hadn't reproduced and hadn't gotten anything back for it was, I was afraid. Let these parables and let your destination let you get over that fear so that you're not afraid of what will they think of me or they think that I've become some kind of preacher or whatever. You're a child of God. From you should come good news at all times. You need to take that responsibility, say, I'm going to God, and I want to make sure a lot of people go with me. I want to make sure my family goes with me. I want to make sure my friends go with me. I want to bring them into the kingdom, and I want to do it effectively. So how do you do it effectively? What is the method for that? Well, we already know guilt and condemnation aren't going to do it. Reminding people of their sins isn't going to do it. Jesus didn't do it. The woman caught in adultery said, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. For the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. Good news is never condemning. Good news always has hope. It always builds people up. Don't demean what God has redeemed. Show them the better way of living. And in that, conversion actually gets quite 
easy. Now, two verses I want you to consider. This one comes from Philippians chapter 2. His strength in you is his love at work within you. That is the greatest power on earth. It is God who is at work in you, both to be willing and to be doing his good pleasure. Now, maybe your translation is a little different. I love this one because it really spells it out. His strength in you is his love at work within you. Faith works through love. When you do things rooted and grounded in love, then you have his strength. You have the power, that wonderful love power. And that is the greatest power on earth. It is God who is at work in you, both to be willing and to be doing his good pleasure. So his good pleasure is to get all his children home. His good pleasure is to make sure heaven is chock full of his kids. So for us to be willing and to be doing his good pleasure, we need to have that love of God working within us. The love of God compels me. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Agape Santos, the divine love, the sanctified love, is what compels me. There's a parable of the harvest in Luke chapter 10. It, it's a pretty short parable, but look to the fields for they're white with harvest. And so it's a visual picture for us that all we have to do is look around us and we'll see the harvest always around us. It's always there. The opportunity is always there. In Asia, I came to the firm understanding that all people everywhere regardless if they're Chinese communist or agnostic or Thai Buddhist or Hindu from India or Muslim from Indonesia, all people everywhere want to know, is there somebody up there? Does he care about me? They all have these same three questions. Where did I come from? Who am I? And where am I going? Everybody has these things. It's an absolute universal of the human race. And what they're looking for is someone to actually tell them, well, I've got some great news for you. You can have the relationship with God that you're always looking for. When you understand that we're made for that relationship, that the very intent of God in creation, the crown of creation of Adam and Eve— was to have people he could talk with. That's what we're created to do. And we all have it. We're all looking for it. And how do you communicate that? So look to the fields, for there are white to the harvest. And then he says something unusual. The Greek is very unusual. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And it's not the normal Greek word for pray, which essentially is wish for or hope for. It's a beg God. It's the same word that is used when beggars are asking for alms on the street. It's begging. Beg God to send out laborers into his harvest. That sent out is not a gentle word. The Greek is ekbalo, and ekbalo is where we get the word ball. So it really means throw the ball out, ekbalo. When Jesus drove out the money changers from the temple with a whip of cords, the Greek is he ekbaloed them. He drove them out. It's not a gentle word. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Just beg 
the Lord of the harvest to drive out laborers into the harvest. Now, when I first read that and read that in the Greek, my thought was a visual picture of a first century landowner who had a harvest in the field that was going bad because he didn't have laborers for the harvest. And so I got that picture that whips would be involved. You would force laborers, and so we're supposed to beg God to force people to go into the harvest. I had to get my theology changed. I actually preached that for a while and had sermons on how God had followed people. And I'm trying to preach it, and God gently reminds me, well, you haven't gotten it right. You don't have the right concept here. This isn't what this is all about at all. And I had to go back and correct it. When you understand what drives you out into the harvest field, the love of Christ compels me. When you understand where do you come from, who are you, and where are you going, well, then you understand God's love, his great love plan, and that faith works through love. And when you have that overwhelming love, well, then you just can't help it. You're driven out into the harvest field. That's the kind of laborer that God is looking for, that the love of Christ compels me. I have to spread his love abroad. I'm so full of his glory, his love, his tender mercies to me that I have to let people know, well, this is what God did for me, and he can do the same thing for you. When you have that, you walk into this wonderful statement from the book of Romans that love, it makes you an overcomer. It makes you more than victorious. The English translation has sort of a warrior tone to it. We are more than conquerors through the love of Christ given to us. The original Greek is Hooper Nike Mon Diete Agabisantos Humos. This is in the book of Romans, so everyone in Rome at that time would know exactly what Paul meant. Uper is a Greek word for over. It's where we get the English word super. So uper is you are over Nike Mon. You are more than Nike, and Nike was the god of victory. In the Roman Senate, before the Senate would convene, they would offer sacrifice to winged Nike, who was there in the Senate chamber, the only god who, this is an idol, but the only idol allowed in the Senate, and the Romans worshipped victory. That was what they were all about. The general who returned victorious from conquering would then get a parade through the town, through the Roman Forum, on a chariot. He would wear the laurel crown, and people would give celebration to him. There would be games in his name. If it was a great victory for the empire, they would raise up an arch, and he would pass underneath the arch in this great chariot. So when you consider that visual picture that you become a over-victorious, not a conqueror, but you would be over-Nike through the holy love, Agabi Santos, given to us. You have all the ingredients for victory. You have all of that within you. That love, let it compel you, let it drive you into that harvest field. And in that harvest field, if you're harvesting with love, 
And if you're proclaiming his love, then you will always be victorious because his love never fails. His strength is in you, is his love at work within you. And that is the greatest power on earth. It is God who is at work with you, both to be willing and to be doing his good pleasure. These are wonderful words, wonderful concepts. Now, we're commanded to love God with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our soul, everything within us. And then we're commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. So, how can you love your neighbor and withhold the gospel from them? Let the love of Christ compel you. Let it drive you to overcome whatever fear, whatever shyness, whatever you think is going to be the reaction of the people around you. If they refuse you, that's okay. They refuse the disciples. They even refuse Jesus himself. That's okay. His commandment to his disciples in Luke chapter 10 is, go find the man of peace. And your peace you send out to him, if it settles on him, that's the one. If the peace comes back to you, walk away. So if you find that person of peace, yeah, that's where I'm going to go. That's where I'm going to plant the seeds of good news, and I will reap a harvest. I want to make sure that I hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, let's conclude with those three questions. Where do you come from? I come from God. Who are you? I belong to God. I'm part of his family. I'm a member of God's family. Where are you going? Well, I'm going to God. I'm going to be with him for all eternity. He made me for fellowship. He made me to be his friend. He created me to be his child, to be with him for all eternity. And I'm going to go to God. And I want to make sure I bring as many people as I can. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I lift everyone listening to this right now, and I speak over them that your strength is in them that your love is at work within them. And we declare your love is the greatest power on earth, that your love has conquered sin and death, that your sacrifice for us, no greater love than this, that you would die for your friends. And you died for us. You showed us your love. So it is you who are at work in us, So we ask you now, make us willing, cause us to be doing things that please you. Conform us to the image of Jesus. Make us rise up into the full stature of what Jesus had. We want to be joint heirs with him. We want to rule and reign with him. We want to be part of the royal priesthood. Lord God, we come from you. We belong to you, and we are going to you. Enable us to do your good pleasure for our time on earth. Reveal to us the destiny and the plan and purpose uniquely created for each one of us. Let us do all of your desire for us in our generation so that we may have great joy and be unashamed when we see you face to face on that day. We want to be able to look at you and see you with no guilt, no condemnation, 
but see your incredible love poured out on us. So, Lord God, be with us. Let your peace be all around us. Surround us with your presence and with the awareness that you are with us and that you will never leave us, never forsake us. Be with us now, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Scripture taken from the New King James Version, copyright 1982 by Thomas Nelson, used by permission, all rights reserved. This has been a special production by the Christian Broadcasting Network, all rights reserved.